Hello and welcome to the 34th Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, which features me, Paul Dean, and you, Quentin Smith. Yes, you didn't even give me a chance to screw up introducing myself. That was good. What you can do is explain what this called. This podcast is about... I knew about, it wouldn't be that good! And who it's for. This is a podcast for everyone who enjoys board games, card everyone. games. Everyone. All the other games you can play in your very own house, in the street, in the bar, wherever. Don't just listen. You can give this podcast to other people. Pass it on. You're also that. Spread it. You can listen to it wherever you want. Number 34, of course, being the amount of pandemic cubes you can eat before you should probably go to the doctor. Yeah, 33 is fine. Yeah, I should speak from experience, let me tell you. Uh, I've been playing Pandemic recently, Paul, but not just any Pandemic, not just the award-winning classic of curing a disease. I've been playing Pandemic Legacy. So, what, Pandemic's award-winning? Oh, sure. I didn't know this. Yeah. Is it actually award-winning? What did it win? I, I, you know what? I did just make that off the top of my head. No, look, look, look. I've got my, for once, we're recording in front of my computer so I can actually type this in. The sound Pandemic Award. Uh, we've got Meeple's Choice Award 2008, Origins Award for board ooh. game or expansion. Yeah. Games 100, best new family game. Yeah. Just play it with your kids and be like, hi kids, this is what the world is like. It's <laughs> full of horror and sickness. And many diseases. So if I if I just stumbled into the room and I'm, I'm used to pandemic, regular pandemic, co-op disease battling. Yeah. And I've heard of Risk Legacy, which is this Risk game where the the board changes between games i would guess <laughs> and this would be a wild guess the pandemic legacy is some combination of just pandemic but with ever changing elements between each game when you play you've nailed it paul uh two to four players uh you can do it with just two it's actually a pretty great couples game it's not a game that you solo then like no well you could but okay. that would be somehow deeply lonely because i mean the, ex- the exciting thing about a legacy game is it's got all these sealed compartments a lot like yeah. an advent calendar yeah if you're of that sort of christian chocolate persuasion and uh, you can open component. You can open these sections of the boxes, and it'll say things like, uh, you know, I, I can't spoil anything. People no. should know that unless they're listening to this podcast right away, the shut up and sit down review of Pandemic Legacy is spoiler free. You should absolutely go and look at Excellent. that. Excellent. Um, Which you'll be doing very soon. It involves pixelations of people can't see the board and everything. Yeah. Oh. Um, so uh, yeah, it's interesting, and I will say, and this isn't really a spoiler, that one of the very first things it does is it gives you a card. With one of the mo- like, if you had to summarize Pandemic in one rule, it would be this rule, and it prints out my card. And probably about forty-five minutes into starting your Pandemic Legacy experience, the manual says, "Yeah, rip that card up because we're going for a wild ride where that rule isn't even part of it." Ooh, yeah. I uh, I first got I mean excited about this before I started playing it because I'm Jeff Kanata and um and who's a board game aficionado who I really like, said that when they opened Package 3 in Pandemic Legacy, his entire table of players started screaming. And uh, and I did, when we opened Package 3, a similar thing happens. So there's a little tease. I think it's my game of the year, Paul. Wow. Yeah. So how you obviously you play a game of it, but it's not over. That just that causes something to happen, which makes the next game different. How many games have you played? Uh, we have played four months. The game takes one year. It's a, it's the story of one year of having a really bad year as the, oh, wow. the Center for Disease Control and Humanity. And um, one thing I can say that isn't a spoiler because it's in the manual, like you know yeah. it going into your very first game is that every time there's an outbreak, which is a common thing in Pandemic, where if a city is disease-filled enough, it bursts like a big, sordid piñata, and then all the adjacent cities get filled with disease cubes. Yes. That's like one of the fundamental 
things that happens in pandemic. Yes. When that happens in pandemic legacy, you take a little sticker and you put it next to the city because that city starts to freak out. So the first thing that happens is it gets unsettled and that doesn't have a gameplay effect. If it outbreaks twice over the course of your year, you then put a two and that means it's rioting and that means it tears down any buildings that are there. That's sad. It means you can't fly in or out of it. And uh, there's all kinds of other nice things. Like if your character is in a city when there's an outbreak, you get what's called a scar. And again, this isn't a spoiler, people. This is in the manual from the very beginning. Um, And a scar is, again, a sticker you pick from a list and you put it on that character. Oh so um, yeah, I, Lee's uh, Lee's scientist. Uh, we're not playing with because she has a really bad case of Europe-related PTSD. Oh dear, she can't go back to Europe. That's really. a bit sad. It's a big problem. So we're just letting the scientists rest and recuperate for a while. But yeah, that's probably as far as I should go into it. If you're more interested, uh, check the review. But yes, it's probably my game of the year. Probably go and watch our review and probably buy it because my goodness. It's a ton of fun. I'm going to, st- without again giving anything away, I'm looking at the board right here, and there are things on it that <laughs> that really that shouldn't be in a game of those pandemic. Are not good. <laughs> yeah, and immediately you've written stuff. Yeah, we've written we've written names for the diseases as oh well at the top of each little uh, disease and box. I, it's probably not a spoiler if I say the most innocuous name has turned out to be the worst disease. Actually, <laughs> yeah, we named the uh, we named the diseases, and of course, the diseases mutate as they do in real life, and. Uh, one of the diseases mutated uh, badly. Oh dear. And we gave it the most charming... I think it's Atlantic gland, is what we call it. And that. can I ask you what happens if you get Atlantic gland, or should we watch the review to I, find I out? I actually... Well, I can say that your skin tarts, starts to turn translucent. Oh. <laughs> which is no good for anyone. Um... Don't catch Atlantic land, people, but do buy Pandemic Legacy and uh, create your own diseases. And uh, have a... one thing that is nice about it as well is that, like traditional Pandemic, um, uh, in a, in a in one game of Pandemic, you might have a particular game where like Asia is is just goosed, like yes. it's in real problem. I've, I, the first ever game I ever played of Pandemic, we just Europe just went yeah, Europe. like in the <laughs> second turn. It was incredible. Yeah. Um, so the nice thing about Pandemic Legacy is because you have all this long term stuff. Uh, Mayan Lee's copy of Pandemic Legacy it's not, it, obviously it's not a spoiler because it's random yeah. in our game you don't go to New York New York is is real bad and, uh, and there's, a, there's yep I'm not going to say and again, I like, like, like I said <laughs> um, like I said uh, Lee's character has Europe related PTSD but if you played uh, Pandemic Legacy then it might be Africa that's like supremely awful and I, I kind of like that just because the geography, you know, the world of pandemic has always excited me. The idea of saying like, I'm chartering a flight to Tokyo. That is like my favorite theme in any board game ever. I love that. Just going to Just Tokyo. the idea of feeling important and getting on a plane and being like, this plane, all you, all these tourists can't get on this plane. It's going to uh, Leg- Lagos. Can't even pronounce Lagos, but it's like Lagos. It <laughs> Legos. excites me. Le- Legos. I'm going to Legos. Legoland. Yeah. I'm going to Legoland. <laughs> get off the plane. Um, yes, so, uh, but like, I just love that different continents will be awful in different games of Pandemic yeah. Legacy, which is already like exciting. And I'm looking forward to when I finish it, talking to other people and saying, like, yeah, because man, they'll have their own stories about things that happened to them and how they did or didn't deal with them. Yeah, of course. And like, that's the, the thing about Risk Legacy is like, you know, yes, your individual copy of Risk Legacy is different, but it's yeah. all nonsense. It's like, you know, ah, oh, the bear people would this in our game, but the mutant pseudo sci-fi, like it's not interesting. But in Pandemic Legacy, I can immediately say this happened to New York, and then this happened to this character, and it's very human. And 
It's interesting, yeah. even if you don't play Pandemic or Pandemic Legacy, I think I could tell stories that happen in our game that are hilarious. Yeah, yeah. I think it sounds like the, the framework for more interesting storytelling about games. Yeah, and uh, someone said in the comments of um, when I mentioned Pandemic Legacy and Shut Up and Sit Down that like just the tiniest lick of... Um, extra flavor and storytelling in pandemic brings the game to life mm. and we get that you know you get that very quickly like if a character gets scarred and also if characters can die as well um so you know the there's a there's a wonderful thing whereby um uh so in the last game we played uh, there was a terrible disease doing a terrible thing and um lee and i were discussing what to do and there was me saying you gotta go in there and deal with it and then because of the rules for scarification and if if you you don't want to be a character in a city when it outbreaks lee's there going I've been playing this scientist for four months. She might not come out of this in one piece. And so the idea of sometimes the best tactical mood move is potentially dangerous for your character. Yeah, yeah. That lends itself a heroism, which was absent yeah. from Pandemic before, but is real if you work in, you know, CDC. Like um, uh, Stephen Soderbergh's uh, Contagion, which is an amazing film um, about the spread of disease, like shows this. It shows people trying to cure a, a pandemic and... Uh, and the very real risks they put themselves in. Which is actually uh, strangely accurate. Not immediately right now, but with, you know, Ebola outbreaks. Was it last year? Oh, yeah, of course. And people have to go there and treat other people. And they put themselves in danger yeah. to a degree doing that. And that was, I think, I would be sorely disappointed if that wasn't in Pandemic Legacy. So I'm very happy to see that it is there and that characters can die. You know? And this this is the thing that sounds really interesting to me. I was never a huge Pandemic fan, but it's also a very abstract game anyway. Yeah. And this doesn't sound nearly so abstract, which sounds really exciting to me. It's still a little abstract. The flavor and the storytelling on the cards is kind of, um, it's, there's not much of it. And mm -hmm. you do have to piece together. It's kind of like playing Arabian Nights where you get a little bit of flavor and it's up to the players to piece to together. To sketch what, it in, yeah, to color exactly, it in. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, that I remember your biggest problem with pandemic in games like Ghost Stories is quarterbacking and that yes. you find it obviously kind of you very easily fall into the role of if a bossy player is there being like oh Paul you should do this then it's it's not in an enormous yeah or even just an experienced player who has a better idea of what can happen yeah. in the game um, not only is that the case in Pandemic Legacy but the one rule that was previously in place in Pandemic which is at least my hand of cards is something I've got and I can contribute to the discussion by saying um, uh, like oh actually I've got Tehran but this I can do this yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, in Pandemic Legacy the rules actually specifically say that players play with their hands of cards on the table at all times so that one glimmer of like, oh, at least I can contribute this to the conversation is gone in Pandemic Legacy. So it's very much a game for players discussing things and arguing about things and arguing about how to solve the puzzle, which might not be for you. And that is like my only reservation for it. Uh, oh, hang on. I've, I've just, <laughs> sorry, foreign correspondent uh, Lee Alexander has showed up. She doesn't look well. She looks very ill, actually. Europe was so bad. <laughs> is that your... So this is... I'm your, never going there. It's your one-sentence review what, what of Pandemic happened Legacy. in Europe? I actually wanted to add that I think it's really cool you're not allowed to touch another player's pawn, unless in specific other cases. That you have to have a special, like, permission Ooh. to move another player's pawn. Does it... Oh, well, that's... Isn't there a... There's an ability that says, like, you can move someone else's pawn, assuming that... Implying that you can't touch it under other circumstances, which... No, that you've kind of misunderstood that. It... Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's fine. Uh... I'm a beginner at board games, but I'm still really enjoying this game. Good. Great. <laughs> I remember... Did This is... You had a good time with stickers. Uh, but a bad time in London? <laughs> good time with stickers, bad time in London. That's, and in the game. That's a capsule review. Ooh. There you go. And that's a capsule review of Pandemic Legacy and my relationship. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, there is a there is a character called 
Actually, that, that does bring a good point. So what Lee's talking about there is um, the dispatcher who's a role in Pandemic that enables you to move other people's pawns. Yes. So if they have cards and need to get to a CDC to come up with a cure or something like that, you can shunt them around, which I'm realizing now is um, actually kind of horrible in a game where uh, you can get scars and you don't want to be in certain dangerous places because yeah. the dispatcher can say, no, you're going in there. Yeah. Which is probably a recipe. For, some people will be playing Pandemic Legacy, and that'll be causing all kinds of hilarious. I, like, I like the and idea fights. of that because that, to me, is a more personal, more human element that removes kind of some of the abstraction and makes it a bit more, a tiny bit more role play, and makes you invested in your character maybe a bit more than you should be compared to saving the world <laughs> or Australia. Yeah. Do I want to live or do I want Australia to live? I would probably pick myself a lot of the time. Yeah, sorry, uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry Australia. But I, I might. In 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 your defence, if Australia could, kill, if though, like Australia is the continent that would kill you if it could, with all of its dangerous exactly. wildlife. Exactly. So it's like so you're just returning the favour, really. Well, they're quite hardy anyway. They'd be fine. They they are hardy. Uh, let's look at our list of games. So I tell you what's not hardy. What's not hardy, Paul? Ghosts. Ghosts because are the they're least, dead. They're, they're intangible and dead. And they've they're like the ghosts of what come after. Pandemic Legacy? <laughs> yes. Possibly in the eighth or ninth box of Pandemic Legacy, you'll open it. It'll be the ghosts of everyone who's died so far. Tiny ghost miniatures, I don't know. Um, that's that's not true, people. Uh, you've been playing Mysterium. I, uh, right, Another so good candidate for Game of the Year, except I think it came out last year. I first played it uh, in that... It's Right, so if I'm right, it's a Ukrainian game, isn't it? But it was the Polish translation that was going around... BGG Con and uh, certain spheres for a while. <laughs> yeah, I played the Ukrainian version first. And it, obviously this is fine because it has almost no English in the... Like the only English part of it is the manual and everything else is pictures. Why don't you explain Mysterium to well, the people at home? I want you to imagine that you've died not from a disease, but some kind of form of murder. Yep. Like in an Agatha Christie book. Yep. Um, With you. And some people are sort of hanging out around your house and they're trying to figure out what's happened. When they go to bed, you send them dreams. Mm -hmm. The dreams are kind of strange. They're strange images and colours, weird stuff. Uh, But through these dreams, they can hopefully get clues about uh, details of of the murder. Yeah. Actually, it's either that you've been murdered or you've been framed for murder. It's something like that. And the details are things like the murder weapon and then the person who did it and the place they did it. Yeah. But... It would be too easy if it was just Cluedo and it was like, you know, killed, uh, the, the barber killed someone with a knife in the toilet. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so you have all these sort of, I don't want to say abstract, a lot of them are not abstract. They're just pretty plain. The, the, the locations are plain and simple. Studio, ballroom, hallway, whatever. The, the objects are simple, like candlestick poker. But you have all these cards that you communicate, try and communicate these objects through, which are a lot more abstract because the dream be cards like, that the ghost is giving the players, yeah. right? And you hand these out to the players, and they have things like whale balloons <laughs> or endless staircases. I mean, they're dreams, right? Or which, yeah, and or make about as much. It's never like as the ghost. You never draw a card with like a knife on it. You dream of a knife. It's like no, you dream a of a tiger in a field, and tigers have sharp teeth. So maybe sharp teeth. The Scissors? Is that is that what you're trying to say, ghost? And the thing is that the ghost, you you have a have you a, have you played as the ghost? Yes, <laughs> you have. I've so, so what happened was I think we intended to play it once, and then it turned into a thing where 
the ghost was the ghost player was saying, "How can you possibly not get the clues on after we <laughs> lost?" So it became a thing of like, "No, I can be the ghost. This is fine." Of people in turn trying to be the ghost and failing miserably because you draw, you don't get to pick any cards you want. You draw some cards, so that's kind of what you have for that turn. And you look at these cards in front of you, and you look at the images you want to communicate, and you end up giving someone a card that has a green background because you're hoping that they'll pick another card that has a green background and yeah, they'll see, associate the two. Because this, this is the thing, it, <coughs> excuse me, it's not just that like the murder weapon cards the players are looking at, it's not again just like a knife or some poison, it's a knife on a pink background or poison on a green background. Yeah. <coughs> There's loads of weird details that people notice, especially the rooms in the house when it comes to the um, yeah. the location of the crime. Like, it's never just a hallway, like you were saying. It's a hallway with a ship hanging on the wall and a cat in the foreground and the moon in the background. And then, yeah, then you're doomed, you know? And it's the thing is, and the thing that I kind of like about it is if you don't guess in the first turn, then you get another card. And it gets to the point where you look at your two clues as a player from the ghost and you go, oh, they, they both have circles in them so actually what you meant was the cricket ball and the ghost can't communicate but you're right and you were right all along but you only have a week you only have seven sleeps to get seven seven clues to guess three things so you can afford to have about two for each Mm -hmm. uh which in itself is actually really difficult because depending on who depending on what cards the ghost has and how well you know them and whether you know like they might be a literary person who are trying to give you a sort of a book related clue mm-hmm. or they might be a person who tends <laughs> Good luck to with that. that seems optimistic yeah yeah or you know they tend to give you cards that are the same color as the thing that they want you to get but they just don't always have cards that are yellow or blue or you know or yeah i mean and the that's thing that the i thing. found it's amazing so is you get your hand of six cards as the ghost and then you pick the very best ones and you give them to the two or three players you're mm-hmm. with um, the best clues you got and then if they don't get it you're just giving them junk because like, you, you draw <laughs> cards that are, I mean if you played with four this might not be the case but when I played with just two investigators out of your hand of six you give out the best two and you draw yeah. two more and statistically you're going to be giving them worse dreams yeah. than, so you just end up giving them garbage and also like the thing that I do like as well that like in addition to all the theme and the flavour of ghosts and murders and all the lovely components and a cardboard raven and shit um, the thing I like about it just mechanically more than Dixit which is its closest forebear whereby yes. um, you know Dixit a game where you put cards out abstract pictures and you're trying to communicate a message yeah. again yeah, yeah. Um, the thing I like about it is that unlike Dixit because you're taking multiple bites of the same clue as the ghost you're listening to what the players are saying so if the players are saying like like let's say I don't know I'm going to pull all this out of my ass it's going to be very stupid let's say the you, you, it's a room with a bicycle and you're looking at the bicycle and I'm thinking okay bicycles have wheels I'll give you a picture of the moon because that's circular and then the circular moon is like the wheels of a bike yeah and you look at that and go like um, I don't know uh, like oh, observatory look, observatory yeah exactly and then you go but you, you go for the observatory because it's black then I can hear you talk about blackness and be like oh no 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 yes if you're focusing on colour okay then I'll give you the right colour yes and then again, not only is that a, an extra complicated and fun game, but it leads to hilarious moments where, of course, then you give them the color dream and they go, oh, it's square. That's probably the cheese board. And yeah. no, they're, they're not even looking and at the color as anymore. As the ghost, you can't say anything you literally to anyone. Cannot You're speak. not supposed to react or respond. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. We, we had four investigators and one ghost and we, you know, rotated the ghost role and... Uh, as all the ghost was doing was there would be a round of people would make their guesses so they put their tokens on the, the relevant cards they're trying to guess and it would just be the ghost going you're all wrong 
<laughs> and then no more. Or occasional just sort of ghost noises, which are like... <laughs> yeah. Because you can't, and I kind of like that element. I kind of like any game where uh, it's about communication, but you've compromised communication somehow. Yeah, sure. And this is it. Obviously, you, you, you actually can't ignore the fact that there is a ghost player at the table, and they can't ignore you, and you're really trying to ignore each other because that's the rules of the game, and it just gets sillier because of it. I mean, it's just great. It's just great. It's one of the great games. So if we're talking about Pandemic Legacy and Mysterium, let's, let's round off the, the hat trick with the third most best game that's come out this year. Because you've been playing more Codenames, haven't oh, you? Oh, pl- right. I didn't get to play Codenames for a little while, and I played it for the first time recently, and I really liked it. Code- I had such good fun. So Vlad Akhvatil, our favourite designer, who yeah. made Mage Knight and Space Alert said that really well. Galaxy I've, I've had practice um, you know made loads of great games often very complicated Very, and then he made Mage Knight which was so complicated that he just made a party game mm. which is Codenames and of course because he's fucking Vlada it's now the number one party <laughs> game on Board Game Geek because he's a genius and okay so I played it with a whole bunch of different people and you know what it works as a party game because of how light it is but there's so much different stuff going on in there. I think someone's being murdered outside. Yeah, if people can hear the faint oh soft strains God. of a leaf strimmer outside. Uh, we've done our best to block it out. We've drawn the blinds and padded towels everywhere. But you know what? What you're going to do? You know, that makes me think of code names and having the words leaf and strimmer. So I'll explain <laughs> code names. You've got this sort of tableau of words in front of you. Yeah. Uh, you have two teams of Sounds players. Easy. It, two teams, great, How easy. could it go wrong? You have a blue team and a red team. That's simple. Yeah. And on each team, you have one person who knows which cards uh, they want their teammates to guess. Yes, they're given kind of like a battleship-like grid reference, yeah. which displays which cards that everyone can see. Like, I might see that the word leaf, uh, the word leaf is red team, which is ours, and that's great. Yeah, when we want to get the, leaf. the word strimmer is blue. That's we sorry, don't want to get that oh, sorry, because blue team will score a point. Yeah. But there's also a word like grass, which is the kill word, which just means if you pick that word, that team's instantly lost. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so all you have to do in this game is, as the person who can see the grid reference, you say a clue. I say um, foliage two. And then hopefully, Paul, well, oh no, because the word grass is the assassin word. Shit, I've already fucked up. So then Paul picks the word leaf and our team gets a point, And then he picks the word grass, but it's the assassin word. So we instantly lose the game. Yeah. Or if I'd gone for something like leaf and hedge. Then we're then safe. Hooray. Yes. If only it were that simple. Because yeah. there are so many different words out there. And they do so many, uh, you know, there's so many interpretations of these words that you look at these. And you might just want to say something like photography three. Because you reckon that there are three photography related words that your team will pick out that won't score points for the other team but are things like camera view lens and you think oh that's so easy and then they go portrait and you go oh, <laughs> and what happens is you can't you get into these arguments like and I'm valid I'm right here but we had this <laughs> argument about what a creature is okay? okay a creature is a thing that is alive right yes so it has to exist right yes so it can't be some fantasy bullshit <laughs> okay no wait no if you, I would if you said creature three I might pick like unicorn I, I can't remember what it was now but, or things like there was this gam- I tried to what was it gambling and it was something like uh uh, table in green were the cards that I yeah. hope somebody would pick because green because <laughs> you know felt, green felt yeah, yeah, yeah. especially you know you have time to look at this tableau of cards so you can sit there and you can think it's not this it's not this they probably mean this 
And I didn't think that this could be a factor in the game. But one round, I said, uh, I gave a clue, gave the number two, which means, you know, go for two things on the tableau. They picked two things. They were right. Neither were the ones that I wanted them to pick (laughs) or were thinking of. And that made my team think that they understood me. And it was sort of counterproductive because actually they'd not picked anything that I wanted them to pick. Yeah. So for this final round, I had to sort of do Afterlife 2, which was like Shade and something else. I can't remember what it was, but somehow they picked them. And it was just, it gets so... Because the thing is, if you want someone to pick one card, that's easy because you just say something that's related to that. Very close and specific. That you have two, it has to cover both bases. Yeah, and then, we, and then three, it gets really difficult. Three is nuts, and like, but this is the thing. Like, I think the reason it's so successful is it's just what that simple format doesn't convey is how tense it is mm. and how nerve wracking it is, and how like if you say like I don't know, um, uh, gambling four, and then your team thinks and argues and discuss. That's the most fun watching the other team, like in Mysterium, argue about what you could possibly be meaning. Yeah. Um, and then they actually successfully pick four words out of this grid of 25 that are to do with gambling. That feels like throwing a basketball from about 100 meters and, and getting, getting it in, in the, the hoop. hoop. Yeah. Like, it's it's a game so rarely... We cover, you know, board games and card games so much, but it's still very rare that you get that feeling of, like, like standing up from the table and going, yes! Like, you know, like you see in sports or, or, or more common forms of gambling. Yeah. Like, actually, the board game hobby, that's kind of rare. Yeah. But I did that last time I played code games where we were losing and we were really struggling and it was so close to the end and the other team picked the assassin word. And I just stood <laughs> up and was like, yeah! And, like, the team... And I threw the assassin word down and then the team and me, like, high-fived. And it, it was It gives great. you... Ru- it actually, weirdly, I mean, I didn't expect this, but it gives you all these possibilities for amazing things to happen and for amazing creativity. Yeah. And there's... It's even how you try and approach the clues and how you think of them. Uh, it was a little while ago now, but my friend Stephanie tweeted a game that she'd played where uh, I think it got down to the wire and her clue was selfies too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was face yeah. and duck. For duck face. For the po- uh, and her team were like, duck face, selfies, bomb. And they did, they got it. Wow. But that's also because they kind of knew each other. And they yeah, had sure. The same I mean, there's of... a bit of that, yeah. But and... you also can't say proper nouns, which makes, you know, like references to movies and TVs and stuff harder. Yeah. Which is good, I think. Because, yes, that stuff can kill some of these games. Dead. It, can, it really can. But I think there's, it's a game that gives you the chance to do, I don't know, try things that are a bit sideways. Yeah. And if you can pull them off. But I, I had such... We played it a bunch, and I was... I would go away and play it right now, again. Yeah, no, completely. Like Mysterium, it's one of those games that you just go again and again and again. And actually, that was like Pandemic Legacy. Like, that, you know, it, it's actually extremely easy to find shut up and sit down to games of the year. Because mm. it's like, when we play board games and card games for a living, you know, obviously we get maybe more fatigue than the average person. Yeah. Especially when we get... I get sent more of these games than I can fit in my house. Yes. Uh, so even receiving them is less exciting. But so it's actually it's so easy for me to see like, oh yeah, this is the game of the year because it's the games that I play and I'm like again, you know that it's it's that simple. Yeah. We did that with Pandemic Legacy. We tore through January, February, March like all um, in one night. And also the thing about code names that I think makes it so good is you could bring it to a place where uh, you know you didn't know a lot of people. You could teach it to people in about 10 so minutes. So simple, so simple. And you're just playing. And then there's the hourglass, which is the best thing. Ah, uh, yeah, which you don't have to turn. It's no, just no, the other it's team... a, that is a get, like the assassin <laughs> word. It's just the most Vlada word. It's like if anyone ever thinks a player is taking too long thinking, which happens a lot in code yeah. because it's really hard. 
you can turn the sand timer. But the manual suggests that like mostly you use it on yourself, which I've done before. Like if I'm just sat there thinking, and I know like it's a party and I'm slowing everything down, I'm like, oh fuck it, and I'll flip the sand timer, um, yep. which yep. is great. Like yep. it's just funny. It's just a fun prop. Like. And the fact that Vlad is so confident, like, as a designer, that he just throws a fun prop in there, it's like, with no specific rules. Yeah. That's just great. It reminds yeah. me of how our copies of Ladies and Gentlemen at Home has, uh, has like, it's just a masked, like, a, uh, a tiara <laughs> and some earrings, some, like, clip-on earrings and stuff. Why? Uh, because it's just goofy fun. Yeah. What a, so, God, that's been a very uplifting and positive start to the uh, to the podcast. Should we blitz through some other games we've been playing? Okay, what? Uh, I see you've written down here Meteor. Meteor, 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 meteor. Than ever. Uh, no meteor, like oh, meaty or cheesy. Uh, so meteor is a game, a written thing I reviewed. I don't really have much to say about. It. I didn't say in the written review. It's okay. a, it's a real time game where there are meteors on the table, and I'll be like, uh, I've got to assemble this rocket, and I put down a rocket, and then you go, oh, I've got the fuel for that, and you throw it on the fuel, and the rocket takes off, and it hits one of the meteors, and it turns out the rocket wasn't big enough because now we know how big that meteor is, and. It's a game about protecting the Earth from meteors by flying Michael rockets. Bay's meteor. Michael Bay's Meteor. With Bruce Willis from Die Hard. It's really good. And the thing I didn't know when I wrote the review is that the Kickstarter for the second edition... Oh, really? ...just launched, yeah. Uh, that was quick. I know, it's bizarre, isn't it? Like, it was it was up for a day, and then I... How uh, is it doing? It's called Meteor 2.0, um, and there's 15 days left on it. So if you've just listened to this podcast, then you're kind of, uh, you're quick on the uptake. And it's coming because it's been cool, funded. You're a cool so. cat. Yeah. Meteor 2.0 is funded and it's got 15 days left on the Kickstarter and it's cheap. You know what? I quite like a lot of these. Uh, we have loads of enormous Kickstarters now in board gaming, but I quite like the ones where they can afford to make something with a low, you know, threshold. Sure. And, you and they succeed. And it's out there. Copies. And do, they do make you, their money do and they do okay. Do you back Are you a backer? I don't back things. I very rarely do, to I be very honest, because of, do. because money and because savings and rent. Yeah, I'm very particular. <laughs> yeah. No, but um, I very rarely do. I keep. I like to have stuff come out and be reviewed or just sent to <laughs> yeah. us and reviewed. I mean, I've sure. got this guy called Quinton. He's good at reviewing board games. I ask him what he thinks. Yeah, that sounds like a good website. <laughs> where, where do I go for that? Um. It's getting silly. <laughs> Shut up and sit down.com, everybody. If you're not aware, if you do just listen to the podcast, which is not a small amount of you, know that me and Paul, this is like a drop in the ocean of content. Me it's and Paul such, fundamentally make videos. You're having such a drop time. This is like you haven't properly turned the shower on. No. You're not even in the bath. Imagine you're nude in like one of those freestanding baths that have the little feet. And there's like... oh. I had I used one of those in the Yukon. We've got recently. one here. Have in you? The, in the Airbnb. Hang on. Can you keep talking? Okay. Uh, so yeah, imagine that uh, you are in a oh bath, naked, <laughs> naked, and there's a tiny trickle of water, as if someone were trying to make a, a bottle of Coke last maybe twenty minutes. That's you, and it's landing right on your belly button, and it's falling from a great height, so it kind of hurts every time it hits your belly. That's what you're doing in just listening to the podcast. Go to the website, shutupandsitdown.com. Jesus. Paul, you look flabbergasted. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> I'm trying to look at the notes. 
I played this is a bit that you wrote. So <laughs> you, wrote <laughs> you wrote Ashes Rise. You you did a video review of Ashes Rise of the Phoenix Born, uh, which I I'm gonna play Cloud again Hats a bit new more. Collectible card game, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I saw someone in the comments being like, "Ah, oh, it's not really a board game, is it? I don't play collectible card games. These are just good games. <laughs> just get the base set and mess around with it. It's good. Summoner Wars is amazing, and that's theoretically collectible, but you just need the base set. That is a really good point. Also by Plaid Hat, Plaid Hat, Plaid, Plaid Hat. Hat. Sorry. Uh, we had a bit of Ashes time briefly. We did. Uh, I'm going to be playing it again with another friend, so I guess I'm still not bored of it yet. Partly because, the, I mean, we didn't even properly play a full game, I guess. But the moment we were doing this, I was sat looking at what I was doing and going, you know what, I can just do this slightly better. <laughs> and I, <laughs> you were working, you were starting yeah, to make sense I was to just, you. I was just thinking, well, I don't need this, I don't use this, I don't need to do this this way. Yeah. And I can change that, and I, there's a danger there that I might do that i mean fundamentally it's it, it was very similar to magic or hearthstone in that fun like because people in the comments were curious about what i think because obviously i play netrunner i'm big into some ccgs yeah, and you're very good at it and so you did the review and people are like oh what do you think um and i thought it was weird interesting uh very unusual um and not like as immediately gripping as something like doomtown or mm. netrunner where it's like oh i can see why this is great um, but very weird. So in Hearthstone and Magic the Gathering, you get a lot of joy from slapping down monsters and you're like, I play this monster and he's going to be beating you up. Whereas in Ashes, it was like, because those monsters are also your health, you know, they, they, they're a drain on resources that you might use otherwise. Like, uh, you don't necessarily want to play them. So I felt very no. uncomfortable initially um, in Phoenix Born because it's like, it takes the format of Magic uh, or, you know... Um, Stone, and then it takes the the thing in those games which gives you joy, which is dropping monsters and being like, ha ha, fuck you, like a magician. Yeah, like abracadabra. It's a snake. It's, um, a, it's a blue jaguar. It's a blue jaguar. Ah. It's a snow imp. He's gonna vomit snow at you. Um, yeah. It's yeah. So in then Ashes is a game which says, "Do you want a snow imp?" And then you go. I don't know. I don't because know I've got I this many resources. It. Yeah. I this is the thing that I find interesting about it is the the part of the game that I I think struggle more with is managing resources, working out what to do now, what to do later. Yeah. But other people spend more of their time thinking about when to attack and when not to because you start to get creatures out, put them in front of you, and you're like, do do I attack now? Because I can, but then I can't defend later if I do that. Yeah. And then I'm going to be in. And that just feels a bit more tactical than something like magic, and it feels a bit more like you're trying. You, you can actually pass a turn to wait to see if your opponent will step forward and do something, rather than trying to hit them first. And I find that interesting. I find that more thoughtful. It is. I got to tell you, I, if I'm looking for a collectible card game that also uses dice, I would be more inclined, just from my impressions of Phoenix Born. To go with Summoner Wars, which is the other plaid hat collectible game that involves dice that I love. Yeah, and the thing is, I, I, there's a couple of similarities, and it rem- there are similarities. Things there are the c- similarities. Which cinema- uh, your your own character, your Phoenix born character, can actually sort of jump into the fight yeah. and defend people. There's also the similarity in that the cards that these monsters you're playing are also your health. And yeah. in Summoner Wars, if you run through your deck, then you're in real trouble. You're screwed. And there's, I mean, there's one guy that I played a few games of Ashes with who... The, the way you summon monsters in Ashes is sometimes you summon them out of a separate deck of creatures. Depending on what they are, sometimes they're cards in your own deck. And, you, and that can be great because you pull them out of your own deck and... 
and you go, I've got this person they're fighting. It's but a that's, snow jaguar. It's a blue jaguar. It's an additional thing from your actual deck. And once your deck runs down, you're, you're screwed. And it feels like you're just pulling out your own intestines <laughs> to, to hit people whip with. your opponent with. Yeah. yeah, and you can do that for a while, and then then you can't. Yeah, and then no, I played a character who was kind of from New Orleans, some kind of <laughs> wizard. The theme on it's bizarre. Um, so yeah and she her main thing was like making your opponent draw cards and also trying to drain their resources so they don't have anything to do with those cards and then and I the thing is I was a bit more savvy to that this time but I've been screwed by that in the past yeah it's odd and a thing I also find odd is the 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 cloudy art design you don't have a problem with this I know I really actually like how it looks it might be that it's full of colours that are like like white and blue and red I like the colours I like the use of like pinks and reds and blues Um, but uh, what I find immediately bizarre is like so many of the pieces of art have a kind of cloudy white background as if the person is emerging from dry ice and that's fine but I look at that and I immediately just think this is just saving money because it's quicker to do this than draw a background around the monster. Ah, fair enough. And it it also compounds the fact that there's not that much flavor in the game for me. Like, I'm a Phoenixborn and I'm fighting you for... Because I don't like your snow jaguars. <laughs> yes, that's that. I think that's a very valid point. I I don't know what the game is about. I sort of don't mind, but it's kind of like magic. It's like clearly some fantasies happening, and we're powerful people. <laughs> but magic, let's actually, just fight. For whatever you think about magic, magic has incredible theme in terms of like. The... I think it's actually. I think it's like a batshit potpourri of like let's get all my fantasy books and put them in a blender. But the artwork is amazing, and the flavor text is often it tries real hard, <laughs> like. Yeah, um, and okay. then in Netrunner, you know, you get interesting. On Netrunner or Doomtown, the thing, the different things that happen in different locations, if we're fighting in the saloon and I pistol whip you and then you come back from the dead, you know, that's like a little story that's happening. In Phoenixborn, it was only ever integers to me. It was only ever I discard this card to create this monster that will attack and you will block. And I have no idea where the hell this is happening. Presumably in a club with the dry ice machine that's broken is what I can deduce from... You know, I think that's a perfectly valid point, actually. And I'm probably biased because I grew up in the 80s with so much dry ice. (laughs) All I ever wanted was to come home and for my house to be full of dry ice and for my family to emerge from it. And like the Paul dinner, and then I would emerge from dry ice and my dinner would emerge from dry ice. And you would have like loads of eyeliner on and then... Yeah, it, and uh, you missed them. You missed. And the then 80s, there would be like synths and things. I do. I am jealous that you grew up in a, in a time of synths. Rick Astley was the first person I ever saw on top of the pops. So imagine, imagine that like I'm I'm walking past the party that is Ashes Rise of the Phoenix Born, and there's like ice coming out the front door. Yeah. My current feelings on it for anyone who's curious is like I've walked past it. Maybe I'm by myself, so it requires confidence to go to a party by yourself. And I look in, and I'm like, I don't know if I'd have fun there. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to go around the block and I'm going to walk past Ashes Rise of the Phoenix Pawn again. I'm going to play it again and just make doubly sure I don't want to attend this particular party before I go home and don't play Ashes Rise of the Phoenix Pawn. Did that make sense? I think that's fair. I think that's a perfectly sensible, valid way to look at it. Good. Right. Yes, it made sense. What have we been recording for a bunch of time? We should... Uh... Oh, let's move on. Let's move on to... Uh... No, no, I've been distracted by the fact that at the very end of this game list is some really interesting stuff. Uh, you played a new Bruno Fry Duty game, haven't you? You played Warehouse 51. Yeah, so here's the thing. Um, I, I hate being in this position where I play a game and I go, that's good. I enjoyed that. That's quite good. And you inevitably say, Paul, would you recommend it? And I go, not necessarily. Yeah. 
And it, it's good. Warehouse 51 is a game where uh, there is a warehouse somewhere that is full of strange, mysterious artifacts that the US government is selling off. Say the US government has Oh, like run Area out money. 51. Got it. Yeah. And they, they're selling off all these things. You start opening these boxes and you're like, oh, it's the Ark of the Covenant. Who are oh, you they're playing? They're selling it off. A burger? You, no, you're, you're sort of uh, huge mega moguls who have billions and billions of okay. dollars. Okay, and you've and shown up to buy the things. To buy the Hammer of Thor or the Ark of the Covenant or the Holy Grail. Or, okay. Or I don't think the Dead Sea Scrolls are in it, but that sort of thing. Okay. And the thing is, you have a bunch of money. Uh, you have these piles of face down cards what you want to do is just sort of do set collection so ideally you want to have a certain number of cards of this color or one card of each type uh, or one types? card of each rank like, there are like four different colors and then there are different ranks what, of what do the, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all about the theme today what are the colors what are the what are the sets is it like biblical stuff uh yeah i don't remember how they're ordered now okay. but there's like there's weapons and okay. there's clothing that'll do i'm done i'm sated yeah. i'm well fed i don't know if on. they've thought that much about the sets it's more like this symbol is on a certain number of the cards you better get a lot of these uh, <laughs> i think it's bruno cathala who's the i apologize if i'm wrong people at home i think bruno cathala the guy who's uh, there is also a game with Bruno Fittiti and Bruno, Bruno Cathala working together and a double Bruno special feature. Is it? What might, game might is that? Might have been Abyss. But, I, but yes, the, <laughs> Cathala is the guy who designs a game and is like, I don't care what theme you put on it. Make it about Romans or fish. About, I'm sorry, what? Ribbons? Ro- Romans. <laughs> uh, I, no, because he was the one who designed Abyss and I didn't end up liking Abyss, but it has the most badass theme and art ever of this like undersea world yeah, with the pearls and everything. That's true, it does. And then I was like, oh, wow, he must be really interesting. And I read a designer diary. It's like, I didn't care. They picked fish as a theme. I didn't care. So anyway. I went to Montreal recently and it was all like this. Yeah. It was all exactly like that. It's people who just didn't care about. They're so disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so you, you're trying to buy these cards. A lot of the time you bid for them. Sometimes you do closed fist bidding. Sometimes you do uh, different kinds circular of bidding. bidding. Okay. Yeah, because certain cards will say this is a closed fist bid. This is uh, a general bid. And the money always goes to the player on your left. Huh. Which oh, is kind of interesting. You take turns as the auctioneer? Yeah, because play goes around. Oh, no, wait, around. no. Play, money always goes around to the left, huh? Yeah, so that can be a factor sometimes because you you win something, but then you pay the person next to you, or you don't want to pay the person next to you, so you don't want to win the next thing. Hmm. Uh, but it keeps money cycling around the system, which is an interesting mechanic. Um, the main sort of also kind of a statement on how being a millionaire operates. Like, it might be. Yeah. Where does your money go? To other millionaires and in, back a, in a again. closed loop. Yeah. But the main sort of body of the game is the fact that everything that you pick up has some kind of ability that slightly alters the game. Like it might make other cards more valuable or um, it might nullify a power of a particular thing. So you're always slightly modifying the game by getting something or slightly modifying the end state of the game and how many points you get. Also, uh, before the game starts, you have some face down cards next to you. Everyone has some face down cards next to them and you can look at these and you go, ah, oh, these artifacts are actually fakes. And it's a separate deck of cards oh, that tells you that some of the artifacts oh, are worth nothing. Okay. You get to look at these. The player next to you gets to look at these. And you have, uh, I'm trying to explain it best, like if you had four people, you, have, you would have four collections of these cards and everyone looks at the ones that are on either side of them. So, only. okay, so everyone knows the Hammer of Thor is fake except me. 
Yeah, basically. depending on how many players you have. The more players you have, yeah, the yeah, more yeah, fake yeah. things there are yeah. and the, the less sort of picture you have. And occasionally you can pick things up where you, you buy an item and it's like, oh, this item uh, can't ever be fake or this item allows another item to not be fake. And obviously you want to do things like you want to get people to bid lots of money on something you know is fake without winning That's it yourself. cute. So the whole table is driving up the bidding for some just nonsense. Right. And the game is full of all these ideas that are perfectly good ideas and it works quite well together and it's coherent and it's fun. Ish. But it's not really exciting. Okay. But it's fine. Like, it's quite good. Uh, this reminds me of um, another... It feels kind of like a filler Another thing. small box game that I confused this with initially is um, John Gilmore, who designed Dead of Winter and News It. Nine or news at ten or eleven, whatever it is. The news to design the news. Uh, he made a game called Vault Wars, which is based on Storage Wars, um, which is a TV show, which is based on bidding for storage units, um, the, <laughs> uh, which is the worst sentence I've ever said. Um, so yeah, that's a game. Except it's set in medieval, like D and D world. So you might be bidding on like a dwarven horde. The dwarf hasn't come oh, back yeah, in yeah, two yeah. years, so now his hoards up for auction you can see a bit and then you get items from this hoard but then you get magic items that affect the bidding of future that sounds similar yeah and again i i was gonna play at a gen con and some some shut up to down fans were like oh hey we got this and i said oh i should play that and then they said do you want to learn it you're probably faster than us and i said sure and i and i was reading the rules for them and it was kind of a bummer for them because they were like oh we'll play this game with quins it'll be great and then i read the rules and went yeah, I'm really tired, and everything about this game seems fine, but not like something I need to play. And so I sort of learnt the game and then gave them their game back and left. And, had a, and had a I was really tired. And it's, it was Well, cons are extremely exhausting yeah. when you're pretty much on your feet and working all the time, so I have understanding there. The thing is, I don't know, I had fun with it. Uh, and it's a small box game, and it's cheap, uh, and it's I don't know, it's probably a good intro game and it's definitely something good if you have a short amount of time, but it a doesn't lot of, if you quite... have a short amount of time there are a lot of yeah. games to play. And the thing is it doesn't quite tip over the it doesn't quite climb over the hedge of That's a thorny hedge. Excitement. And the thing is I still years on I still really like Citadels and Yeah, sure. Uh I've completely now forgotten the name of the the building game with the dice. The, what? Uh the... Machikoro? No, the building you make buildings out of dice. Oh God, that made out of things. Yeah, I don't think people will be able to find that. I think that might have just had one print run. But yeah, sure. If you find blueprints, buy blueprints, build it. But it did. Like, I would rather play blueprints. I would rather play citadels. I would rather play Lovely other small box. Yeah. yeah, even Coup, which I played a lot of and I'm a little bit tired of, but still. Let's round off our game segment with a couple of games that people might not be expecting from us. They're video games. Oh no, what? I know. We're going to do this real quickly because we know lots of you guys don't listen to the podcast for video games, but these are board game related. These are d- close enough that we should talk about them. Yes, and we say that as video game journalists, so mm-hmm. trust that we know what we're talking about. First off, Chesh, which is yeah. which is like chess, but with the last S replaced with an H. Um, I think that's on iOS and maybe Android as well. Chesh, if you have an iPhone or an iPad, absolutely worth getting. It's a fascinating chess variant that Paul and I played. It's, not, it's nuts. It's, it's not fascinating. It's, it's... And again, these are both video <laughs> games which um, uh, which do what board games want to do but can't due to limitations of the genre, yes. which is why we're covering them. So Chesh randomly assigns chess pieces moves, like algorithmically. Yeah. Uh, and then you and the player have um, mirrored chess sets and you kind of play chess but with... You tap on a piece and then it shows you where that piece can move. And then because you've kind of technically picked it up, 
you then have to move it. Yeah. So you then move your weird triangle piece to forward and to the left because that's all it can do. Yeah. And then your opponent goes, oh, so the weird smiley faces move forward and to the left. I'll remember that. But you don't remember it. But you don't because you, you tapped on a different thing and that has a different move and it doesn't go anywhere <laughs> that you want it to go because it it skips two spaces and then goes left. Yeah. And how is that ever useful in any situation <laughs> ever in all of recorded history? Right, that's what a knight does. Knight goes forward and diagonal. This is basically <laughs> it's like all of your chess pieces have been celebrating because they thought that they won, won. <laughs> yeah. and they're all blind drunk. And then the king rides in and goes, "I need you all to fight now!" And they all stumble out the hall <laughs> and form two lines. But then you play the next chess game, and it's all different. Yeah, they all do different things. And also, some of the as useless as we're making these pieces sound, some of the pieces are like just doomsday powerful and then it's like you pick one up and it's like oh it can go almost anywhere like a queen but even worse and so but then yeah. obviously in doing that you're like oh my god this is awesome but then obviously you're, you've now just told your opponent that their weird dollar sign also obliterates also does everything. that yeah it's, so it's just great so yeah if you if you have an ios device definitely play chess it works great on an ipad just pop the ipad down and both players can use the same ipad awesome uh, also, subterfuge. Subterfuge. Well, uh, I don't want to. Never reviewed diplomacy on Shut Up and Sit Down, but subterfuge <sighs> is basically a diplomacy, but better it's for iOS. Similar, and isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I don't want to talk too much about this because you're going to be talking about this on Cool Ghosts with like dropping comments from a bunch of people. Yeah, let's definitely let's let's let's. I but will. we can, we can circle this. We've just started a subterfuge diary, which if you ever wanted Shut Up and Sit Down to play Diplomacy and I still let's play of that, the subterfuge diary is the closest you're going to get because that includes me, Paul and Matt and five other people all doing a diary of our long game of subterfuge, basically playing Diplomacy, but a little sexier. So that's <laughs> if you Google subterfuge cool ghosts, then you will find that. Yeah, and that will gradually be be coming out, won't it? Yeah. uh, Uh, Game of us all negotiating how we'll definitely work together to (laughs) conquer places. And won't backstab each other. Even even though it's a game that only one person can win, I'm definitely going to help you. uh, Because (laughs) certainly there's no other way that could go... Great! Sort of like if you're all in a marathon and you're all like... If we don't run faster, that person will win. And it's in our interest to trip. You and hate just... I don't know why you agreed to join him. I, 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 without giving too much away, I just thought that it was going to be a bit different and things in it. I didn't think it would go the way it went. That it would get out. <laughs> but there are some. There are some cool things about it. It might not be to everyone's taste, but it's. It's. Interesting. It's interesting. Let's dip into our mailbag, Paul. Careful. Okay, I, there there might be some there's some sharp objects in there. Careful so just now. be careful when you reach in to the mailbag and you are reading the first letter. Okay. Professional broadcaster Paul only Keep had it to be professional. Only had to be prompted once to read our first letter. This is from Clarkson Andrew, so I assume his name is Andrew Clarkson, but he likes to be formal with people. Oh, that's our that's our mailing software. He... Don't pin that on Clarkson. Oh. He begins very formally. He goes, Hi. Full stop as well. I have started to run a board game club in a secondary school in the UK. We have an hour session, a variety of younger kids plus a few 15-year-olds, say 15 kids in total, and access to a number of rooms. Do you have a suggestion or do you have any suggestions for games? The kids are all new to the hobby and I assist multiple groups so long rule explanations are a no-go. Anyone out there providing discounted games or okay, second-hand... This is, this is boring now. No, he wants <laughs> second-hand games. 
Secondhand games. As part of the group, we are encouraging kids with a wide variety. Get in touch with Andrew if you've got any. Of social difficulties. Well, Clarkson, I will say that I'm not in England right now, but if you do drop me an email, uh, just to the shop, sit down, email, I, may, I can part with a few games for your secondary school. Um, yeah. But also, this is just, a, I wanted to answer this because it's a slant on the traditional question of how do I get my friends into board games, which we've been answering in different flavors for four years. This is how do I get kids into board games? Because yeah. the kids are all right, Paul. Uh, I'm absolutely that. fine with kids playing board games that teach them new ideas that get them using their brains in different ways that get them being social I think that's a great thing to do with games I so uh, so <laughs> I wish I'd thought about answers for this uh, Coup maybe because it's just a straightforward game about lies I think Coup's pretty simple and it's also going to be loads of fun for kids who sit there trying to outthink and outwit each other because kids are good at that. Yep. I don't think anyone should ever underestimate kids. I think the same for two rooms and a boom. If, if you, you have, have multiple, multiple rooms, rooms and yeah. multiple kids. Yep, if the kids you know, don't mind you know, like running up and talking to each other, that's good. They're, they're going to argue and lie kids and giggle. Learn, and... Kids should learn team building. What about co-op stuff? Oh, what are co-op games? Co-op games with less quarterbacking, maybe, because kids will just be bossy. They'll be a bossy yeah, guy. which know. makes I me not want to say Pandemic or Ghost Stories. Uh, what's a good co-op game that doesn't have... I wonder if they would like XCOM. Oh, Because maybe. there's a, an iPad that... There's a lot or... of bullshit in XCOM, though. It's just yeah. a lot of... That, most of the manual is just bullshit. The thing is, again... <laughs> Sorry, you know... Eric, if you're listening. <laughs> I like XCOM, I like XCOM. That was a potted version of my critique. <laughs> But I definitely sort of, even if I was 10, 11, there are so many of my friends at that time, uh, you know, boys or girls would have got those rules, would have understood it, would have been able to play it. Yeah. This is true. the disgusting thing about being the age I am now. I mean, I'm for not me... any better at board games. Okay, hang on, hang on. I've just realized we've, we've missed the most important thing. We have an hour session, board games in under an hour. XCOM would code, work. Na- code names, get code names, get Spyfall. Two rooms and a boom. Get Mysterium, get two rooms and a boom. Get Resistance. Done. Or, Resistance Avalon. Oh, Summoner Wars, maybe. All of those under an hour. Bosh, bosh, kibosh. Now we get onto the email that I'm really excited about. Uh-oh. Uh oh. This I've, one's in blue. Why this one's in blue. blue. You'll see why. Because uh, it's thematic. This is from Ben Robinson. I've been having an exchange with Ben Robinson. <sighs> ben Robinson writes, "Hi, Quins. Hi. Specifically to me. Oh. Oh no, it's because he. No, it's because he." he because I wrote to him already. Apologies for the delay. Yeah, uh, I was just sorry. Apologies for the delay. I was just checking the communication with the communication person that it was okay for you to read out my email. The communication person. I know, right? So clearly, we're getting into That's some like conspiracy shit. Her is probably my favorite. Since I am buying slash bought. Okay, this is not. I, I really should have done some homework. <laughs> just let's skip to this part. Just to give you some background, I'm a marine biologist working for the British Antarctic Survey and will be stationed at Rothera in the Antarctic. He's invented that. That's not real. I didn't even crop the correct part of this email. Basically, he's going to be there for six months with about 130 people on a base wow. in the Antarctic, but constantly changing due to Rothera acting as a gateway to different research bases. Oh, wow. In winter, shipments and planes can't get through, so for six months there are only the core staff, 21 people, keeping the base running. So basically, if you've seen the thing, what Ben Robinson initially wrote is he's going to this base for like for months and months, and uh, he's going to email every six months to shut up and sit down and let him know how his board game club that he's going to start in the Antarctic is going. And you know what? What? I... Did that actually make sense? Because I basically... No, it does. I delivered that email like 
like chopped liver to I think to I think that's fantastically interesting. I can't wait to watch the diary of a man gradually going mad. I mean this is the thing. So this is so what Ben Robinson's gonna do is he's taken the following list of games which I helped him come to. Uh Resistance Avalon, this is a terrible stuff. It's gonna be great. Cosmic Encounter, <laughs> Two Rooms yes. and a Boom. Codenames, Spyfall, Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, because yes. he can pass it round the base yes. he's finished it. Uh, and Survive Escape from Atlantis, which is pretty dark if you're in the Antarctic in a... I, like, I would even basically almost... Basically an island of ice. For space and theme and kind of relevance in the time they have, I'd almost recommend Arkham Horror, because <laughs> Arkham it takes Horror. so long. And they can put it on a table and gradually play it over a week. Eldritch Horror just got a uh, got a, an Arctic expansion, I think. Well, he's going to the Ooh. Antarctic, so he's safe. Uh, well, the Antarctic is, I think, where my favourite Lovecraft story is at the mountains. Of oh, Madness. is that? I thought that was in the Arctic. That's in the Antarctic. I think it's the Antarctic, and it's to do with the Antarctic being an old continent that once upon a time wasn't the South Pole. Oh shit! And maybe there's something there. And they they go there and they're like, oh, it's oh, it's going to be nice. We're exploring this. It'll be fun. Like, oh no! <laughs> oh, what's this? That's called uh, that the I'm sure... of madness, right? If people want to go and yes. read a fabulous it's story, a novella a very, by him that I think is both a really good story, really interesting. Man. Well, this is it. I think it's one of the books that because unfortunately that is not was. racist. Yeah, because it's, <laughs> it is a sad truth about Lovecraft. He was a massively intolerant man. <laughs> he was a really good writer. He had great ideas, but he didn't like going to. Yeah, th- he didn't like. I th- think he didn't like New York because it was full of people, all and of, he didn't like people very much, and it made him really intolerant. And all of you people with your plush Cthulhu just know that that is the product. Can't be denied. It's true of a xenophobe. The um, yes, so I think this is this is exciting to me because Ben Robinson's got these games, and uh, and they are going to be tested more than just about any boy like here's the thing here's what I'm doing right he is an arctic <laughs> researcher he's a marine biologist he's gonna go there and study wait 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 but there's no there's it's just frozen no he'll, I guess he'll be on the li- look it says um, it's, a, it's a gateway there are there are, there are planes oh. yeah they, it, hang on I'll google I it. wonder if he's gonna I'll look at it on google of... maps Rivera and... I think it's basically it's gonna be like penguins and seals all the time I didn't think that we could do this look this is cool or algae or something look, here it is on google oh, maps wow. That is right by the sea. That is basically the Arctic equivalent of of, of Brighton. We've just turned on the satellite and Rivera is... Oh, there's quite a few buildings, actually. It's basically a runway (laughs) and that's it. It's like a runway with a warehouse attached. Might be my favourite podcast yet. (laughs) Yeah, no, we're doing... doing, We should always be next to a computer, shouldn't we? That's as close as I can zoom in. Can I drag the man? You... No, I can't drag the man. There's no Google Street View on uh, and Rivera there Research Yeah, station. but if if Ben has time to go out and take photos, if he people, could... If people are at their PC, they should Google... Look at the same thing I'm looking at. The Rivera spelled R-O-T-H-E-R-A Research Station. Put that into Google Maps and, uh, and yeah, and then just zoom out and oh, look. God, Antarctica wow. is so big. It's so it's big. It's the biggest continent and there's so many buried alien spaceships. Google Earth actually starts to break if you look at the Antarctic I'm discovering today. So yeah, Rivera has boats coming in. So he'll probably be going out on boats and looking at... Um, oh, that's true. Whales, uh, maybe. Whales? Yeah, maybe we'll be studying whales. Uh, if you're listening to this, Ben Robinson, um, then do also update us on... Um, Everything. On what kind of fish you're studying. Because I'm interested. But here's the thing, though. So he's going there to research animals. Mm-hmm. Also, mm-hmm. I've got him researching board games. He's doubling up. 
I hope he has a good time because it, it's a heck of a thing to go somewhere for six months. Oh, he's not going for six months. It's it's just during. The, he's going there for years. Oh, wh- oh, yeah. He's going ah, to be emailing oh, us like every few months. You're right. During the first six months, Brackets. there will be a hundred, hundred and thirty people, and then they'll go down to twenty-one people. That's a thing to commit to. That's like the old Star Trek thing of where they say we're on like a multiple year mission, and you go, "Blimey, who would do that?" But people do that. Yeah, yeah. I'll. Uh, I'll Doctor McCoy's my favorite, but her is one of my favorites. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to find out with the most rigorous road testing these board games have ever received. How good Resistance Avalon, Cosmic Encounter, Two Rooms and a Boom, Codenames, Spyfall, Sherlock Holmes, <laughs> and Survive Escape from Atlantis are. That none of those games have ever undergone such a rigorous testing process. And we'll see how they do in low temperature conditions. I'm, I'm put in mind of. Yeah, I'm put in mind of, um, uh, you know, like when you see testing facilities for things like cars or phones, like there are machines that drop a phone mm-hmm. over and over and over and over and over, yep. like thousands yep. of times to see how robust the Don't phone is. I need a machine for that. I could do that. <laughs> that's, that's your life, basically. Uh, yeah, so that's the equivalent of what these board games are doing. It'll be 21 miserable people with nothing to do but play two rooms and a boom. I uh, imagine if it was two rooms and a boom, but like one of the rooms was outside. <laughs> <laughs> You've got 12 people like shivering in Antarctic. What's the temperature in Antarctica? Temperature in Oh, it Ant- probably depends where oh, you are. It, I sure think it doesn't. the further you get in, the worse it gets. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's balmy. Uh, <laughs> the highest temperature ever recorded was minus, minus 12 degrees centigrade. 9.9 Fahrenheit. Wow. Oh, it's the Antarctic. So, yeah, that was on the 25th of December. So, uh, all right, that's probably enough. So, it's, I, what a surprise it's cold. <laughs> it is cold. Uh, we've been going for about an hour. So, let's quickly whip through our folk game, whip. shall we? Whip being the operative whip. word. Right. I'm going to try and read this. Uh, this massive that. block of text from Adam Feldner. Thank you for writing in, Adam Feldner. Yeah, thank you. So, Adam says, Greetings from Montana, which is somewhere that I've always kind of wanted to visit for the scenery. I thought Montana was like the comedy state. Like, if you're from Montana, that's already funny. Well, it is, but it's most of them. <laughs> most of them. Carry on. Ah, yes. goodbye, audience. No, that's. I think that's North Dakota. Uh, jokes aside, because of that. Anyway, <laughs> the accents. Uh, greetings from Montana, a remote and grizzly bear infested state here in the colonies. Infested. Infested. That's not true. They've shot most of their grizzly bears. Really? In the US, yeah. They're all here in Canada. Wow. They only have a couple of hundred left. Dicks. Rude. <laughs> I mean, let's uh, be real. Uh, living in one of the most sparsely populated regions of North America means it's important for us to make time to get to know our neighbours. Twister, a fabulously awkward activity of knowing your neighbour in a Milton Bradley-sanctioned display of exhibitionist yoga kind of way. It's <laughs> a good way of describing good it. Good work. I love Twister. Is a marvellous game for just that. However, I would be remiss if not to tell you all about a similar game called Human Knot, which sounds to me like Human Centipede. <laughs> the game starts by arranging any numbers of players into a circle, any number. Once the circle is formed, each person is told to hold hands with two other people. So you can't play it with one or two people. The only rule being you may not hold hands with the people on your immediate left and right. Mm. The circle inevitably tightens as people scramble to find two other hands, and when all is said and done, it produces a fleshy amoeba of crisscrossed bodies and limbs. This... Is when the game begins. Into it. Without letting go of each other's hands, the group is told to untangle and return to a state of standing in a perfect circle. Like Twister, it's a game that's as much fun to watch as it is to play. The collective consciousness of the group adds a wonderful dynamic as individuals are literally thrust... Literally thrust (laughs) 
into precarious places for minutes on end. Long, <laughs> long chains of people crawling between the legs of the shortest player. <laughs> multi- multiple individuals folding into a convoluted embrace and appendages racking under the pressure. I think that means cracking under the pressure of the untangling ball of human yarn or all regular are all regular occurrences. This is a fantastic party game. It kind of sounds like it is. <laughs> and with some minor supervision has proven to be a wonderful success with our local youth group. <laughs> Traditionally, the game has no time limit and only the single collective objective. However, when played outside or in a larger space, elements of water, relocation, <laughs> and teams can all be ratcheted on to this amalgamation with Frankenstein-esque variability. Excellent work, Adam Feldner. Oh, my God. I, th- I quite liked some of the language in that, and I, d- I can see in my head how that works if people just... Just the idea of playing it next to a swimming pool and then just some players being on the edge. And... Oh, God, no! yeah. Uh, yeah, great. What we learned from this is I do want to go to Montana. Have you noticed that whenever we do these folk games on the podcast, it always ends with, like... Like, you know, they describe this precarious or deeply, like, sexual game, and at the very end it's like, it's great with kids. Like, that's always, like, the the, the pseudo-punchline at the end of it's, these folk games. You know, it all makes me think of being a kid and at the time thinking everything would be sexier than it was, and it never is. It's always just a bit awkward, and it's actually more innocent than looking back on it now as an adult. It's sort of slightly thrilling as you're a kid, and ah, uh, no, I'm just not going to say anything or touch anyone. Or I'm going to be cool and standoffish. It's like that, the, we had that Australian game where it was like the lights are off and everyone's like, I'm taking off my pants. And then and you, no, no one, one you, is. No one is, yeah. And you go in the cupboard with a girl, and it's just weird. <laughs> and it's just sort of, you don't do anything and you leave. And uh, actually, again, kids are not maybe as bad as we think. I was just time. about they to just be like, to tell things. the audience, if you played a folk game and it was sexy to, as a child, do write in. And the, no, don't write in if don't. you had a sexy time as a don't. child. Uh, unless you can do so in a way that doesn't incriminate <laughs> us. Uh, but I think most of the time we were all actually better behaved than we wished we were as kids. I think the best game... Or maybe that's just me. I played as a kid, the best folk game, was me and a friend had an aerosol can. Oh, no. We... <laughs> yeah, like any story that begins that way. And so we discovered the thing where if you hold the lighter in front of an aerosol can... Oh, you know, no, don't do that. Then you create a flamethrower. Don't do that. It's pretty awesome. Do do that. Don't do that. D- but do... Uh, and then anyway so obviously we had a great great amount of fun with this because you have a flamethrower and you're 15 or whatever and uh, then at the end of it we were like um, oh the aerosol can's empty let's put it on the fire because that's a place that so let me tell you explosions aren't like in the movies Paul explosions are immediate and terrifying there's no running away from an explosion like my vision just went white and uh, my friend had no eyebrows (laughs) And I lost some of the hair on my arm. So and I'm very lucky that was the only thing I lost. A, a friend of mine homemade some explosives once, and we set them off. Like he homemade plastic explosives because he was actually a fairly capable chemist, and he'd studied all of this. Wow! Um, and it was back in like it, this was the early '90s when we were really young. When plastic explosives before the were internet freely. existed, and before, oh, before the that's impressive. That's well, cool. we we couldn't get you know. How the, do you find out? He actually, he just knew because like his dad knew or something and he knew which things <laughs> to do. Because nowadays if you downloaded something that said anything like that, you'd probably end up in prison. 
when you're just being a kid. Yeah, sure. But he just like blew up some toy soldiers, and what happened was there was a really loud bing, really loud bing, really loud bang, <laughs> and everything was somewhere else immediately, yeah, yeah. and it was just. You don't see it. Yeah, it's very weird. There's, really there's very scary few visuals. I feel like the idea of an explosion being visual is something that's primarily come out of cinema when yeah. actually a lot of explosions are just force. It's yeah, and it was quite scary and it's I it would be a thing where I would say probably don't do that. If you've been in an explosion, do write in and uh, let us know how that went. So on the subject of uh, human not though, the last thing that we'll close the podcast with this because last week on the site and this is another good reason to visit the site. Brent we had Brendan <laughs> uh, writing an amazing article um, which oh, I'll get the yeah, title off silly games to name. play which Dumb also probably games. I'd not recommend because they involve Titles. stupid physical stuff <laughs> yes, you do the, as kids the thing was the, the title it was called Dumb Games or Why I Sometimes Yearn to Punch You um, and it was Brendan writing tremendously lyrically and beautifully about growing up in Ireland and the dangerous games and drinking games he played uh, and of course I've written about drinking games on Charlotte Down in the past yes um, but so there, it led to an amazing comment thread of people sharing the dumbest games they played as kids so similar to Human Knots, and so we're, we're keeping it all it's a nice segue uh, seg sorry it's not segue is seg it? you it's seg um, so this is the top, most top voted comment I do want to read this podcast because maybe you haven't read the article so <clears throat> this is from uh, oh let's actually get who it's from can you um, can it's you, purple can you just uh Vibe, Paul. Can I vibe while you research this? Oh, well, this is weird. It's from Jacka. That's his. That's his Jacka. Jacka writes. I went to a tiny primary school. I think the largest I ever got to while I was there was twenty-two students. So we were able to. Wow. Uh, uh, okay. Anyway, so he says my personal favorite dumb game was called Whip Crack. It'll take a little bit of explaining. This was a game. There was a game played by the younger girls in which they held hands in a line with one girl holding on to a netball pole. They'd run around, wrapping around the pole until they were all in a kind of group hug and then unwind again. Innocent enough stuff. I think I played that. It was discovered that if someone near the pole stopped, the energy would be transferred along the line and the person at the end would get jerked around. (laughs) In the name of science and self-destruction, we decided this phenomena had to be tested further. Next lunchtime, we got a big chunk of the school's populace all at the pole holding hands. Boys, girls, didn't matter. It's a good attitude there. We'd run as fast as possible for a while, and then the person at the pole would stop, lean backwards, and pull. The energy transferred would fling the last couple of people violently from the end of the line, usually causing them to go crashing into the dirt unless they had particularly good balance. Small children were occasionally thrown in the air by a particularly good whip I can't rack. believe that. I think teaching kids science would be much more successful if it involved the possibility of flinging Blake McCormack three metres into a spiky shrub. Thank you, Jacka. And then, and then the amazing thing, the most upvoted reply to this, God, I love our commenters, is from Jasta42, who says, one of my favourite paintings, and then a link, and the link, which I have here, is from 1872. Yeah. And it's kids playing the same game in 1872, having figured it out themselves. Yeah. Kids independently coming to this awesome, unique kind of play. I, you know what? I think that's so beautiful. I think I, I'm pretty cool with that. It reminds me of playing Red Rover, which you must have played, which is the sort of game where you form a line of holding hands and you, someone from one end of the playground oh, runs like over and you catch simulator. Them. Yeah, it's similar to British Bulldog, which was banned in British schools <laughs> oh, for being too dangerous. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I did loads <laughs> of stuff like that when I was a kid, but it was also... Ne- whenever we played it, we were always a bit more timid than people thought we were. And I don't know, I feel if there's a theme to this podcast, it's that 
kids are smarter than you think and they're not always as silly as you think and they're going to behave themselves better than you actually think they are but sometimes I don't know. is that the thing but also they are exactly as dumb as you think very robust though <laughs> kids tend not to injure themselves it's a very modern idea that kids need to be you know protected because it's harder to injure a teenager than it is is that I, true I, should know. I certainly as a kid and a young teenager i got into I flew off my bike a bunch of times and was surprisingly and okay. Yeah, no, I definitely... Like, we're talking like 20 miles an hour, which is not a slow speed to come off a bike at. I took some tumbles as a kid, and did you, I would not want to take them now, that's for sure. I skidded along the... the, the, <laughs> the I skidded along the If you avoided injury road. as a teenager, do right in. And just the, the skin on my left arm <laughs> just got torn off. No, let's, let it, if there's a theme of this podcast, is that board games and bar, card games are much safer than yeah than all of this nonsense also that theme <laughs> we, can also, still, we can celebrate everything you can take get board games to the antarctic and it might be okay you can dot if, dot dot if you've enjoyed this podcast about injuries uh and the antarctic and horror uh why not review us on itunes it's been a while yes, since we please. asked you guys to do that give us a good review upvote to share us with everyone you on know Stitcher. yeah and do write something into the review section even if it's just your review of whatever last board game you played or just nonsense because i think the amount of text affects your ratings oh also please we we're really lucky we have a great crowd of commenters um we're always hearing always interested in hearing what people have to say and having people share their stories please do keep sharing stories oh, God, everything. Yeah. if you have a folk game if you have just something to say we've been recently really enjoying reading out emails on the yeah. podcast uh hopefully we'll get more of that and uh, god i'm just so i feel like we, we hit the jackpot with ben robinson going to the antarctic i feel like we doubt we have but i feel like we've sort of done that with a lot of our community we have so many people who turn up and say i've been reading for ages but i just i feel now i want to comment about something yeah. if you're that person please do share us share your story or your opinion or your point of view or your joke or something yep uh, there's we a, like it. the we email address it. if you case you haven't seen it the very bottom hidden to keep out the weirdos uh, at, at the bottom of the Shut Up and Sit Down homepage um, it's a tiny little thing that says contact, um, contact. and you can contact me can't promise film. I'll reply but I'll read everything it's Jodie Foster in space contact what board game would you take into space yeah. it would have to be a board game you could play in zero gravity because all the stuff would fall oh around. shit there's a, mag- there's a few magnetic ones one of those oh okay we'll go with that <laughs> great I've been Quentin Smith <laughs> Uh, and you've been I've been Paul Dean thank you very much for letting me be Paul Dean for more than an hour (laughs) wow Uh, God thank you very much for listening everybody looking forward to seeing some of your emails good night goodbye goodbye it's not night